Hey guys, when you love our great outdoors, you care about protecting it. And on today's episode, we're talking with someone who can help you learn about how to do that. Dr. Ariana Rashke is the program director for the Central Arizona Conservation Alliance, and she shares some great information about the desert and how we can do good when we travel and recreate in beautiful places. So welcome Ariana to the show. So Ariana, it's great to have you here. And uh, what, what are you working on now? Well, great to be here. Um, working on a lot. Yeah. I work with the Central Arizona Conservation Alliance out of Desert Botanical Garden. Henceforth, I will call it CASCA. Okay, nice. <laughs> it's a little bit easier. That's yeah. a mouthful. Um, and so we focus on the regional open spaces and parks in Maricopa County, but also Central Arizona. Um and we're working on tons of different stuff, invasive plant species and mapping and managing those, um, environmental education. Um, and we do all these things through collaborating with different partners. So CASCA's team is really small. We don't do anything alone, but we're trying to kind of get people together to work on all this stuff. That's awesome. And, you know, we're stoked to have you here today to learn about uh, the things you're working on and how our listeners can uh, be better eco-tourists. Nice. Yeah, perfect. Can you break that down for us, Dr. Rashke? I mean, ecotourism may be a really common term for people who work in that space, but for the average listener who just is an outdoor enthusiast, that's not a, quite as familiar of a term. So, yeah, what does that mean? Well, I guess I'll say I think there's probably multiple definitions of ecotourism that different professionals will say they have. For me, ecotourism is kind of two, there's two parts, um, tourism in nature and then trying to do that in a way that's truly sustainable for the environment, also for the communities that you're in. Um, so, you know, how you recreate when you're out there on the land, how you deal with the people that live in that area, you know, hopefully very respectfully um, and all of that. It's kind of all tied together. Um, and it's just really getting out there, having a good time, but doing it in a way that supports everything around. Would it be safe to say that uh, a responsible ecotourist uh, pays attention to the leave no trace rules? Definitely. Yeah. Okay. I, I <laughs> yeah. hope our listeners are familiar with Leave No Trace by now. We've talked about it a few times. Yeah. Yeah. That's definitely one of our favorites to get out there. Although if you did ask me to list them all off the top of my head, I would struggle. Oh man, that was the next question, wasn't it, Elizabeth? <laughs> no, we won't put you on the spot, but we will put the Leave No Trace principles in our show notes. How about that? Perfect. <laughs> that works. Um, but you know, I, I like that you're out here to talk about this because for the average person, when I know for myself at least, when I'm planning a trip or even just a day outdoors going for a hike or whatnot, it might not really come to my head to think about how can I make sure that my trip, my vacation, or my hike today is respectful to the land or responsible or helps preserve it even for future generations. So I like that you are bringing this perspective. I like that you're part of this work at CASCA. Um, I, you know, when you talked about working with partners, it brought to mind like groups that you were assigned with for school projects or even professional projects. And anybody who's worked in a group 
No, sometimes it's hard to get everybody on the same page and work oh, yeah. together. And I'm just wondering how you how do you do that? How do you get everybody to work together when each person and organization has their own priorities or ideas of approaching conservation or even their own definition of ecotourism? Yeah. Um, well, I would say there's definitely always challenges, and I think it comes down to stuff that we all experience. Like, it's personalities more than it is the mission, because I think what really ha- is going for us in this region in conservation and, you know, for Casca is that everyone is here to essentially do the same thing. We care about the land and we care about the community. So even if we disagree on definitions or even like what actions are necessary, we come back to the table always because we want to get this work done and and there's that true love. So you're you're bringing people together through common ground. Exactly. Yeah. Yeah. Well, that's awesome. Yeah, it, it is. It is. And I think, you know, really the biggest challenge I see is that an overall lack of capacity, just in the sense that everyone is doing so much. And I'm sure you guys have that same experience. Um, And that there's so much you want to do. And sometimes you even say yes to it. And then later like, Oh no. Right. Cause you bit (laughs) off more than you can chew. It seems to be with the OHV stuff right now in Arizona. I mean, a huge OHV community and it's grown by leaps and bounds uh, because of COVID and everything. And now everybody's like, okay, there's some conflict out there. Um, There's conflict with other people. There's conflict with habitats. And it's something that we need to work on. And honestly, across the board, you know, speaking of ecotourism in generality, I think most people want to do the right thing. And I think that they just don't know how to do the right thing or they haven't been supplied with the resources to, to be educated about that. Yeah, I agree. And I mean, I think that's my experience too. Cause I mean, I'm in this field, not just because I'm like, Oh, ecotourism is interesting. I love traveling. I love hiking. I love all that stuff. And I would say that the stuff that I did 10 years ago, I'd probably disagree with some of it now, right. but like you said, it's because I didn't know better or I didn't have the resources to do the right thing um so yeah i think it's best to assume that people want to do what's right but they just maybe don't know how right how can they get involved with with you and what you're doing so casca has a lot of different ways to get involved since we are in central arizona that's kind of our focus so you know phoenix metro area Um, and surrounding lands. We have a lot of different projects that are going on with our partners. So for people that are around here that are out on the land quite a bit, uh, whether that's hiking or OHV, we are, um, one of the things we're doing is mapping invasive plant species. Okay. Um, So when you're out on the trail, basically we do a training. There's only eight species we try to identify. Um, because is buffalo grass one of them? Yes, is buffalo okay, grass cool. is one of them. <laughs> <Right. Yes. laughs> yeah. Um, and you know, if you're not a plant person, which I'm not, grasses can be hard to identify. Yeah. Um, <laughs> so we've got buffalo grass and a few others. Some are a little bit easier for those of you like me who are, you know, not not a botanist by any means. Um, but basically, you do the training, and then you can use your phone and. When you're out on the trail, you just map where those things are, and it allows the different land managers to think about how they want to try to manage them. 
and where they're kind of moving across the landscape. So I think a lot of people in our area are probably familiar with stinknet. That's the little plant, also called globe chamomile, although don't drink it as chamomile tea. <laughs> That's actually why we stopped calling it globe chamomile, because people were like, oh, it's chamomile. We're like, don't, don't drink it, please. <laughs> don't do it. Don't do it. <laughs> it makes a lot of people have allergic reactions really bad. Oh, so. no. Okay. Um, it has these little yellow, we call them buttons. They're little flowers um, people have probably noticed. And their leaves are kind of like those carrot leaves. Um, I've seen quite a few of them. They yeah. grow in big patches. Yeah, but yeah. they like emerged all of a sudden, yeah. right? Like yeah. you didn't used to see them and no. now they're everywhere. They are. I, I hike uh, some trails around Phoenix, you know, and I've been noticing them last last year for sure, but last couple of years, definitely. Yeah. 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 So it's... For people who aren't familiar with like these invasive plants, why are they a problem and, and why is it something that's an area of focus right now for cows to cut? Because it is an issue. Yeah, that's a great question. Um, so I think it's always good to clarify that when we're talking about invasive species, it's, in my mind, again, people argue about definitions. Invasive species are not native to our area, and then they're actually you know, spreading rapidly and impacting our other species and our other natural resources. So our concern with most of these plants for central Arizona is that they increase the wildfire fuel load. Mm -hmm. um, and we know that with buffalo grass for sure. Um, and we believe that that's likely the case with stinknet as well. Um, and so, you know, people in this Sonoran Desert region may be aware, or they may not, that wildfire is actually not something that our plants in the Sonoran Desert are adapted for. So it can really impact our saguaros um, and all, of, well, not all, but a lot of our plants here. So when a fire goes through, the grasses do really well because they're adapted for that. It helps their seeds, but, you know, the saguaros get burnt, as an example, and then after a few years, they die mm -hmm. um, if they're burnt to a certain extent. So it's, you know, in some sense, it's, well, we have a preference and a desire to maintain our biodiversity. Um, and, you know, saguaros are really, really cool, I think. Oh, yeah. Um, they impress a lot of people, and we wouldn't want to see them disappear. So we're hoping that not necessarily getting rid of all of these plants, because I don't think that. That might not be possible, but trying to figure out ways to balance these things and at least know what's going on can be really important. Well, the saguaro, I mean, it is super important to protect that because, um, you know, everybody loves saguaros for a different reason. I mean, I, I grew up growing up seeing them and it's just kind of part of uh, right. all, a, a bunch of really cool memories. But they're also a source of tourism. People come from all over to experience the saguaros of the Sonoran Desert. Yeah, yeah. So. They're iconic, plus they're part of the habitat. I mean, we've been talking so much, Neil, about how they're an important part of the habitat for birds and for lots of different animals that rely on this plant. So when one plant that's not native to the area comes in and then starts choking up these native plants, it's doing you know, sometimes irreversible damage to the habitat for both plants and wildlife. And you've been talking about buffalo grass, you know, that is a plant that was introduced in the 30s and thought to be something that would be helpful for preventing erosion and provide cover for, for cattle to graze on. And then we realized, uh-oh, this is a problem. It spreads like crazy and it's choking out native plants. So um, what can an average person do to be a part of the solution when 
they're thinking, you know, I think for lots of people, we've talked already about how we, most people want to do the right thing. Um, but sometimes the problem feels so big. So what can we as individual people who are just hiking or enjoying the outdoors, bird watching and whatnot, what can we do to help combat this problem? I think there's a lot of stuff people can do at different scales. Um, it could start even on your own property. Um, you know, for instance, we had a lot of stink nut on our property before we knew what it was. And so it does take a lot of effort to remove those things, but it spreads through the city. Controlling this, these things on your own property, I think, is a big one. Um, and in Phoenix, fountain grass is really popular landscaping plant. And I mean, I've, I grew up in Phoenix. I, we had it in our yard when I was young, um, but that's invasive. And if you're hiking, you can see those things growing in washes and stuff. So I think making decisions on your own property that are sensitive to that, maybe there's another grass that could fit that, you know, vision you have or, um, you know, things like that to consider. If you've got time, there's different ways to contribute as a volunteer, doing removals, or as a community science mapping. Um, and then I think, you know, there's also, if you don't have the time, but you do have resources, you could donate to any kind of organization that's doing work that you feel, you know, fits with your philosophy around this kind of stuff. Um, because those do go, all of those things go a really long way in helping. Um, and, you know, even like the private property stuff feels small, but no one else can manage that land except for you. Um, right. Yeah. Yeah, you're totally right. And I think people forget you can be a, a part of larger groups. You don't have to start something on your own. You can plug into existing organizations and things that are already doing good work. I We've been talking about bubble grass. I want to give a shout out to the Catalina Buffalo Slayers down at Catalina State Park. They're out there all the time pulling buffalo grass, and they've made a huge difference. Yeah. Um, but you're right. If you don't have your time to give, certainly donating makes a huge difference, or even just helping promote the good efforts of the different organizations that are doing these work. When you, when you share things on social media that you see or tell people about the difference that these groups are making, that in and of itself makes a big difference yeah i agree and that was a great addition that raising awareness can be something huge that you can do if you if you don't have the time or you can't get out on the land yourself and then you don't maybe you don't have those resources to donate getting your voice out there is huge right sharing knowledge you know mm -hmm. all you got to do is you can learn about something like on this podcast or a website or from other people and share what you learn because right. it, the more people that know about it, the more people are going to take action to to do something. Right. And even if you can't do action for some reason by telling other people, you you're helping. Yeah, yeah, you're an advocate then at that point. Yeah, which I knew there was really a word for it. Yeah. <laughs> it just came to me. <laughs> <laughs> so, Doctor Grashke, apart from your work with Casa and the program director for that. I just can't not talk about the fact that you are a researcher and you've concentrated on some really interesting things. I know that you've done work with biodiversity conservation and nature-based tourism. Um, I, you know, I think those two particular areas seem sometimes to people like they are competing forces. <laughs> like how can, um, how can tourism actually help 
conservation, but you, you've been focusing on this for a long time. How can they go hand in hand and actually support each other? Yeah. Um, I think there's a lot of different ways and the key kind of goes back to one of the first things we talked about. And it's sort of those decisions that you make as a tourist or as a traveler, whatever you want to consider yourself and, you know, the kinds of organizations that you support. Um, because I think the money is needed and I don't mean to keep bringing it back to money, but when you travel, you do support a lot of different things, you know, you pay to go to the national park or the state park, wherever you're at. And that supports the people working there doing the good work. And there is a lack of resources a lot of times. So those, you know, fee dollars that you pay, they make a big difference. Um, right. And then you gas up your car in local communities, right, you exactly. buy snacks there, you know, I mean, you interject like money's being interjected into all these right. communities as a result of that. Right. And I think what's important to think about in terms of, money in the community is not just that it's money in the community, but what are you doing while you're there and what's your impact? Um, because tourism is a powerhouse oh, yeah. when it comes to money and politics. And sometimes it can get so big that the community feels like it's, you know, doesn't have its hands on the steering wheel anymore. Right, right. Um, but as a tourist, you can be a part of supporting people by supporting small businesses, making sure that where you stay is not, you know, potentially taking away housing from local folks. Um, and that, you know, what you do while you're there is respectful of the the culture and the, the place that you're in. Because, you know, the culture between the city and rural areas can be different. Um, different states are different. Different countries are different. Right. And I think it's that open-mindedness to, you know, yes, this is my vacation, but I'm not here to just do whatever I want. I want to, you know, immerse myself. I want to learn and I want to leave a good impact. Um, and sometimes that can be hard because maybe you can't do the stuff that you thought you could do when you got there. Cause who knows? I mean, I pulled up to a place in Texas over the summer and they just had all their roads, you know, flood and wash oh. out. And I was really disappointed, but you know, I wasn't going to give the ranger a hard time. Um, right. and she actually thanked me. And I think those little things make a big difference for people when you're there, you're visiting and you bring that like positive energy. Um, and I know that doesn't speak to the environmental side of things, but I thought mindset's really important. I think when people are traveling, I think it's a great shift in perspective to think not only about, Hey, I'm going to get to do all these fun, cool things that I've always wanted to do, but thinking down the line of like, what can I help while I'm here enjoying myself and seeing the things I want to see and doing the things I want to do? How can I also make a positive impact? And Ariana, I know that you have a travel blog that's all about this. So maybe you can tell us about that. So it's called Nightborn Travel. And there's a state right? park section it's even I saw today. <laughs> So I would say the blog is kind of a mix of things. And because my work is so intellectual in certain ways, a lot of times I'm like, I just want to write about what I want to write about. And, you know, at my heart, I'm a hiker, a tourist, a traveler. And I just, you know, a lot of the focus, I think, is trying to empower people to feel comfortable going to new places or 
if it's somewhere close by, as you know, the past two years now, we've all kind of been required to stay nearby. How can you look at where you are as something really exciting to explore? And I mean, I've lived in Phoenix my whole life. So a lot of times you're kind of like, oh, mm, I've done all this, but right. there's new stuff all the time. Or you go back to the state park you hadn't that you had done before, do a new trail or come to it with a different perspective. And I think for me, it is about the environment and the community, but it's also like mental health and what I just get so much enjoyment out of in my life, wanting to share with others. Um, because travel isn't always accessible, or a lot of times it might not be. So I think taking joy from when you can travel, where you are, um, is it can be important, not for everybody, but for a lot of us. I think your blog uh, pairs very nicely with your chosen profession because you are a a hiker, a traveler, you write about it, you write about these different places and people can see how you're interacting with, uh, these different places that interacting with the land, with the people there, you know, so you're leading by example, which I think is really cool. And you're putting it out there for people to Thank see. Thank you. So. <laughs> Thank yeah, you. I appreciate that. Really cool places. So I, I've enjoyed reading your blog because you have had some awesome adventures, but you're right. There's a lot of times that Playing tourists in your own backyard can give you such a wonderful experience. So we shouldn't forget there's a reason that so many people come to Arizona and want to enjoy this beauty. So you're right. We should explore and not forget all of these wonderful resources that are right here in our backyard. Yeah. And take advantage of what's close to home and the other people come to see. I think it's important to enjoy where you are. Yep, man. That's beautiful. Thank you. <laughs> so what, what's what's next for you? What's next for Casca? You know, what, what's on the horizon? What are your oh plans? Oh, gosh, that's a good question. I mean, in a lot of ways, we're forging forward with projects. I think one of the things important to keep in mind about anything conservation related is that it takes a lot of time. Mm -hmm. um, you know, some of our projects we got started two, three years ago, longer, and they're going to hopefully continue for much, much longer because those plants are going to be there and the stuff that we're growing takes time to grow. So it's that cultivation, I think, that's just got, it takes time. And so it's that and it's the evolution of the relationships we have with our partners and strengthening all those things, uh, hopefully for the benefit of central Arizona and maybe all of Arizona too. So Yeah, that'd be nice. Yeah. <laughs> where, where can people find you? Um, so our, a lot of our information is at casca.org, C-A-Z-C-A.org. I'm a really bad speller, so I'm glad I did that. <laughs> and we're on social media as well. <laughs> um, the website's a great hub for everything. So if you're interested in the social media, hop over the website, click the links. Um, we're, we're kind of all over the place, you know, Instagram, we have a YouTube with our speaker series. So if people are interested in learning more about the science, you can go and learn about all kinds of stuff. Okay. That's, that's freaking awesome. And I'm going to do something new that I've never tried on the podcast before. And I think I'm going to start doing it with guests. Okay. I, I just, I'm curious about what your favorite bird or animal is this native to Arizona. Oh gosh, that's native to Arizona. I was gonna cheat and say my pet, and it's a love bird, which is not native to <laughs> no, Arizona. But they're everywhere. Well, some yeah. places now. Yeah. yeah. I, I, you know, I know they're invasive. I like looking at them. I'm a bird guy. You know, yeah. so I mean, they're they're pretty. Bird guy. 
always kneel if I know your favorite bird? <laughs> Maybe. I'm pretty sure you know. It's, yeah. Can I say it? It's the elegant trogon. Yeah. Which oh, is that a is great, a good one. Yeah. Mm-hmm. That's a good one. It borders on obsession, but it is a cool bird. Yeah. I, I think I'm going to go down and find one next year. Nice. Yeah. <laughs> that is like late. That's the, that's the place to go find it, right, Neil? Right. Yeah. P- Patagonia Lake, Snowy Creek area right yeah. next to it. Yeah. It's yeah. beautiful down there. I mean, I'll say as a biologist, I like... Pretty much everything, uh, but I'm gonna do a shout out for coyotes because okay. I think in Phoenix sometimes uh, they get a little bit of a bad rap because people are kind of scared of them. But I think they're super cool because they survive. They're survivors. Every yeah. like they're out there in the desert. They're in the city. I'm always shocked. Like you see them in your backyard and you're like, how? Where oh, did yeah. you come from? <laughs> Yeah, yeah, we hear them in our backyard quite a bit. Yeah, well, that's a good one. Yeah, animal. I'm glad that we heard your fave. <laughs> Me too. Awesome. Thanks, Neil. I know, I know. Thanks. Well, thanks for having you guys. This was really fun. No, it was, and have to do it again. And thanks so much for the good work that you're doing. Thank you. I mean, it's it's rewarding, so I'm I'm happy to be here. Cool. Well, hopefully, sometime we see you on the trail. Yeah, for sure. Yeah.